From potential relief targets to how Major League Baseball's schedule changes could impact the Mariners in 2023 and more, we're answering your questions here on the Locked On Mariners podcast. Colby, hit it. You are Locked On Mariners, your daily Seattle Mariners podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Monday, November 7th, 2022. This is Tidy Gonzalez and Colby Patnod for the Locked On Mariners podcast. Thank you so much for making us your first listen. Subscribe, like, and turn on alerts if you're watching on YouTube. Or subscribe and leave a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform if you like what you hear. And if you want to hear from us even more, please consider signing up for our Patreon. The link, as well as our social accounts, is in the description below. On the show today... Hey, it's the return of Mail Monday. Thank you to everyone who submitted questions. We're into a few of them coming up. And just a reminder, we're planning on this being a regular thing every Monday from now until at least spring training. So if we don't get to your question now, it doesn't mean we won't get to it in the future. And first of all, Colby, you're back. Hi, Colby. How are you feeling? Okay. Um, there were a couple of people in the in the comments on on the episode that were uh, wishing you well, wishing you a speedy recovery. How how you how you holding up? I'm doing okay. I'm pro. I would say probably like ninety percent now. Uh, at least how I feel. I don't know how I sound, but I'd say I'm probably about ninety percent. So yeah, last what was it Thursday or whatever? Mm-hmm. That was rough. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm feeling better, ready to go. Uh, we'll see if I can make it through two shows today because we're recording for uh, CTZ after this. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll see how I do. But uh, right now, I'd say I'm probably about ninety percent. Patreon.com forward slash Control the Zone. Be sure to uh, check it out. We're going to be talking more about our off season plans and mm-hmm. uh, just having some general off season talk. Uh, on there so uh, if you're interested in that check it out uh, our episode for our tier 2 and tier 3 subscribers is going out today and then our uh, show for all of our subscribers goes out on Wednesday alright so with that out of the way let's get into some questions Um, and let's see here I got 8 or so questions here that we could pick from not sure if we'll get to all 8 today uh, but we'll try our best to uh, let's start with this one from CJ who uh, who asks with Julio getting rookie of the year does it give the Mariners an extra draft pick and what would be some top I'm going to assume uh, draft targets for next year the Mariners might be interested in so the first part of that yes Julio will net the Mariners a draft pick if he wins rookie of the year uh, and it seems like that is going to happen. Uh, and Joe Doyle of Prospects Live has projected that pick to basically be a top 30 pick, so a first-round pick, uh, landing at 29, I believe he has it. So mm-hmm. uh, basically the Mariners get two first-round picks uh, within the uh, top 30. Uh, I think their other pick is slotted in at 22nd, if I'm not mistaken, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. So the second part of that, Colby, have you looked at uh, the upcoming draft at all for potential names the Mariners could be looking at there in that 22 and 29 range? I have some names of guys who I suspect will be first round picks, but it's a little too early to know, you know, 22 to 29, a lot can happen. Uh, You know, guys can guys who we think are going to be late first rounders this year or right now. You know, next July they could be going top five. It happens every single year, and, and the other way around. So, um, I have some names of guys that maybe if you want to watch some college baseball, uh, try and get a feel for some of them. Then I have some names, but uh, no, I haven't really dove into the uh, 
I haven't really dove into the uh, the prep ranks at all, and and uh, I'm not really. I'm just I'm just trying to keep track of some names at this point because where they slot in uh, is anybody's guess. So. Yeah, yeah, it's way too early uh, to be looking at names. There still has to be a, a college baseball season that gets to be played. There still has to be high school baseball that gets to be played. Like all that mm-hmm. stuff, the, things are going to change drastically between now and next July. So, in, including the talent level of the actual players who are going to be in this draft. So, mm-hmm. uh, guys can get insane. The difference between sophomore and junior year for a lot of guys is is massive. So, there's probably a guy right now who's outside of like the top. 60 who is going to go in the first round and it's just that's part of major league baseball's draft so Mm -hmm. so staying in line with prospects we got a question here from evan uh, who says since it seems like jerry is going to get up to some wheeling and dealing this offseason do you guys have any prospects in the mariner system who you think aren't necessary or integral to the next wave of players guys that you would feel comfortable trading basically also bonus question how does the drafting of harry ford change cal raleigh's long-term outlook at catcher does ford end up playing a different position so to answer the first part of your question for me, and I don't know how you feel, Colby, but for me, the simple answer is no. There really isn't anyone that I view as like you have to keep as untouchable. I think the closest to that would be Harry Ford. Uh, but even then, to me, he could be had for the right price, right? Like if that can help me get a you know perennial, like if Harry Ford could help me get like a perennial all-star, right? I'm considering it at the very least, depending on the situation. Is that the same for you? Yeah. Um, I think probably the guy I would consider closest to untouchable would actually probably be Cole Young, just because he's probably a little bit closer to the big leagues and sure. uh, he can play shortstop. We know he's going to do that. Harry, the thing with Harry Ford is that he's at least three years away, uh, especially if he sticks a catcher. Um but no, I, I those guys even like if I can get just like a really solid everyday three win player for, you know, three or four years, two or three years uh, for that guy, then, yeah, I'm considering it because neither of those guys are Julio Rodriguez. You know, um, I know that, you know, Ford is the number one prospect, at, at least for now. Um, we'll see what happens when they add Celestine. Um He's probably going to be number one for a lot of guys. I, I don't know. He's going to be top five, but we'll see what happens there. But uh, none of none of those guys are like Julio Rodriguez type of prospects, right? They're just not that guy. So mm-hmm. uh, number one prospect doesn't mean what it used to when Julio was in your system. So uh, none, nobody's untouchable. Nobody should even be considered untouchable. Uh, and yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. A lot of the Mariners' best prospects are younger and, and they're down in the lower parts of the system. So um why would you not consider training somebody who's three years away from from being an impact big leaguer to you know try and help you win a world series now yeah and i i I think uh with the way that you were wording it too with you know the next wave of players i mean harry ford's not in the next wave of players cole young's not in the next wave of players i think the next wave of players is guys like taylor dollard Cade marlowe etc and again none of those guys to me are are untouchable or i even think that right like i even come close to thinking that yeah i don't think there's a uh an all-star um in the mariners next wave because like you said you're talking about marlowe and dollard and bryce miller and maybe emerson hancock that's who you're talking about i think those are all going to be pretty good big leaguers but i don't think they're even like you know 
Cal Raleigh level type of prospects. So um, it's going to be a while before you get that impact. And, and that seems troubling for some, but again, Julio's what, 22, uh, Gilbert, Raleigh, like all those young guys that you just had that uh, were such a huge part of your success. That's why it doesn't really matter that the the next wave is like the next impact wave is probably two or three years away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for the second part of your question, how does the uh, drafting of Harry Ford change Cal Raleigh's long-term outlook at catcher? It doesn't. It, it doesn't. Uh, and does Ford end up playing a different position if he stays in the Mariners organization and reaches the major league level? I would think you might. Probably, probably so, honestly. Uh, but, second, second base, center mm-hmm. field, third base. There are plenty of options for him because he's incredibly athletic uh, and gifted defensively. And uh, the bat's going to play. Uh, right really wherever so that's what they're hoping and i mean yeah. like like i said he's at least three years away we don't know what he's going to look like in three years we don't know what cal raleigh's going to look like in three years we don't know what true. this ball club's going to look like in three years so very true yeah there's no reason to move him off a catcher right now so you're just going to roll them there and then uh no if if cal raleigh is still you know looks like he did this year basically maybe a little bit better uh he's going to be the starting catcher and, and maybe that means you have a backup catcher who can actually play second base three times a week and play third base and then catch twice a week. You know what I mean? So uh, there's nothing wrong with having two really good catchers, especially when one of them can play even up the middle still without, you know, being the catcher. So yeah, uh, yeah you, you keep forward a catcher for now, but uh, you know, three years from now is it, that's a long ways away. Yeah. I would look at Ford as kind of a super Austin Nola. Yeah. Like that's that's obviously a very simplified version of it, but like that's basically what what Ford could provide. That's what the uh, the that's what one of his paths to the big leagues is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like Russell Martin. I think is a pretty common comp. Just a yeah, a guy who's probably going to be a very good catcher, but can also even play some some third base or you know, like he's he's just that guy. He's a he's a very just. Focus on the bat if you're looking at Harry mm-hmm. Ford. Worry about the bat. The defense, he'll find a place to play if he can hit. Yep. All right. So we got more questions coming up here. But real quick, a reminder, this episode of Locked On Mariners is brought to you by Bet Online. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. Head to the BetOnline website today or use your mobile device to learn more bet online is where the game starts you're listening to the locked on mariners podcast thank you again for making us your first listen let's get back into these questions starting with ethan's tech world who says ty and colby how do you think the new schedule having less division matches will affect the mariners listen every day you guys are awesome go mariners thanks ethan uh so of course, the uh, the schedule is going to change in Major League Baseball, across Major League Baseball from here on out, starting in 2023. Uh, every team is going to play one another at least once uh, per season, uh, which means that division matchups are going from 19 uh, games a year to 12. So the Mariners will see the Astros 12 times, A's 12 times, Ast- uh, Angels, Rangers, etc. Uh, so how will this affect them? I don't think it really does. 
I think it ends up balancing out for the most part, right? Because like for as many games as you're losing against the, you know, Astros, you're gaining in games against like the Dodgers, the Mets, et cetera. So you're still going to get go up against elite teams. And for every game that you lose against the Rangers and the A's, you're going to gain in games against the Pirates and the Reds, et cetera. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that it really impacts uh, the Mariners or really any team one way or the other. I think it just eventually balances out, and it makes those games, I think, if anything, it makes those interdivisional games all the more important uh, because there are fewer of them now. Right, and also we know that tiebreakers are now determined by head-to-head record. Uh, yeah. That's the number one tiebreaker, so... um. I, you know, I think maybe what it does is it's a little, it might change how you build your team a little bit. Like if you're in a division that has just a ton of lefty power bats, you might prioritize, you know, a guy who gets out lefties more regularly. But if you're going to face Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker and Shohei Otani, you know, for seven fewer games, that's going to be like what, 20 to 25, 26 plate appearances. Maybe you don't need that. So, um, I, I don't think it's going to change much to be honest with you. More travel, uh, probably, which isn't great for Seattle, but you know, it's part of the trade off. Uh, but I, I really don't think it's going to change much, uh, at least in terms of, um, like what you and I will notice. Like, I on the players, like I said, it might be more travel, more wear and tear. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be that big of a difference to be uh, perfectly honest with you because. The biggest thing, like Ty said, is like, oh, we're losing seven games against the Astros. That's good. It's like, yeah, but you're gaining three at least against the Dodgers. So, and three against the Mets and, and three against the Braves. So, yeah, it, mm-hmm. it, it all kind of evens out at the end. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, next question comes from Hambone. Hambone McClone. If Hanniger signs elsewhere, how concerned are you about outfield bats? And gloves, for that matter. I assume we pick up a free agent. Then what? Is a Winker slash Kelnick slash Moore slash Ham Swaggerty rotation viable? For me, it does not pass the vibe test. All right. So we've talked a lot about corner outfield. We know the Mariners are going to be very active there, whether it's just bringing back Mitch Hanniger and doing something else in left field or, or what have you. They got to answer the question about Jesse Winker. All that. So... Are you concerned at all about those positions or do you feel a level of confidence that the Mariners are going to be able to address both right field and left field accordingly? Uh, I think, I think they'll, they'll address it because, because they have to, um, they're definitely going to have to get one guy at least. And and in this hypothetical, they don't get Mitch Haniger, which means they need two. Uh, I think where, I forgot who asked the question. I think whether he might be onto something though is ham, ham bone, Colby. Ham, ham bone. Ham. My bad. Bone. <laughs> My bad. Ham bone. Okay. Um. Jeez, it's like bone saw. Um. Anyways, bone uh, saw <laughs> is ready. <laughs> yeah, I knew that'd get you. Um. I think where you might be onto something here is that like they go and they sign like one corner outfielder, right? And then they throw guys at the second position. Uh, the second outfield spot, and they kind of try and like build a a, a better outfielder out of a couple different guys. Uh, I think that's a possibility. Uh, I don't think it'll be Winker. I don't think it'll be in-house guys. So I, I think yeah. maybe one of them will be. Uh, but if you're 
planning on keeping around Jesse Winker, which I mean, fine, they can, you really want him to be the DH. So you still need an everyday kind of outfield options. So uh, I, I think you're, pro- you're probably looking at is they're going to sign one guy and then uh, go out and try to just kind of, you know, Kevin Kiermeyer and, and Manny Margot type of situation in right field um, mm-hmm. or left field. Uh, but also, you know, we shouldn't rule out trades. So I, I know, you know, free agency is kind of the way that a lot of Mariner fans want the team to go, but Jerry's not going to stop making trades and we shouldn't ignore trades because I mean, we should just cross Ian Happ off the list because he's not a free agent. No, of course not. So, yeah. uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not too worried about it. They'll get it figured out in the outfield and, and finding corner outfielder, corner outfield bats. It's one of the easier things to find. Yeah, and it's one of the least expensive things to find, even on the higher ends. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, there's going to be plenty of free agent uh, possibilities, like Brandon Nemo, like Andrew Benatendi, like Michael Conforto, Michael Brantley. We'll talk about those guys. David Peralta mm-hmm. is another like under the radar guy that you and I have talked about a little bit. Uh, and then you know, fr- uh, trades Ian Happ. Um, maybe you, you can find a way to circle back to the Brian Reynolds conversation. Probably not, but, uh, Tyler O'Neill, <laughs> maybe, um, Anthony Santander. Yeah. There's Taylor Ward. There's a lot of, there's a lot of possibilities out there for yeah. you to get significantly better in the corners. And uh, I think the Mariners will be exploring all of those. All right. So next question comes from Josh games. Given how the Mariners have been able to completely reclimate some veterans and have had a few young arms really hit the ground running in the majors over the last few seasons, how long until the pitching development slash scouting staff starts getting poached by other clubs? Colby? Um, <clears throat> you know, I, we've already seen some of it. Um, I think we've saw the Mariners pitching uh, Marcelo, I think, Rob Marcelo. Uh, he got poached uh, a few years ago. Uh, so yeah, I, I think you're going to start to see some guys get poached, but, uh, I don't know if it's going to be as, as widespread as, as people think the Mariners, um, proving to be a very good place to work, proving to be able to find this front office talent and add them to their staff and, and, uh, kind of regurgitate them. And, and if you want, and in a way you want guys to get poached because it means you're doing something right. Right. So uh, but I think we just saw one way that the Mariners can kind of prevent that from happening or try to at least uh, promotions, right? We saw Justin Hollander go from assistant GM. He just gets named GM. Uh, why? Mm-hmm. Because the Mariners knew they were going to lose him. Of course they are. Yeah. Uh, so give him a title bump. And, and you can do that in a lot of different ways. It's it's not like there's like, it's not like the Mariners scouting jobs are are bad scouting jobs and like the, the pirates scouting jobs are good. You know, like scouting is scouting at the end of the day. Yeah. Maybe if you want to live closer to your, your home in the off season, maybe that's a reason why, but for the most part, scouts are paid roughly the same. They have the same assignment, uh, you know, relative to where they travel in the country and all that stuff. So yeah, it, it's not like, you know, being a scout for the, the Cardinals is inherently better than being a scout for the, for the Mariners. It's roughly the same. So it really comes down to familiarity and, and you know comfort and things like that so yes and no uh we've already seen the mariners kind of get um not pilfered but we've seen the mariners lose some guys from their staff that that they really liked and they just replaced them and they haven't skipped a beat yet so uh it's it's part of one of the it's probably the biggest bit of jerry depoto's job that nobody talks about but 
finding replacements for the guys that get hired away, you have to have this deep list and, and Jerry's done a really good job of that. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I think you'll start to see it some, but I don't think you and I will really notice it on the field uh, for a long time. Yeah. Like you mentioned, Rob Marcello went to the Padres. He's now their director of pitching. Yeah. Uh, that happened last year. Justin Hollander, of course, was reportedly one of the top two or three candidates uh, for the Angels GM position before uh, Perry Manassian got that job. So, you know, the league's taken notice to what the Mariners are doing and uh, the talent that they're building kind of from within there and, and the staff that, that Jerry DePoto has built. Uh, so and like Colby said, that's a good thing. That's a really, really good thing. Uh, because it means that you're doing something right. All right. So next up, we got a question from Jay Qua. Our old buddy Jay Qua is back. He says, Hi, it's Jay Qua. Hi, Jay Qua. What are some relief pitching trade targets and what would they cost? So, Colby, you and I compiled a short list of some guys before the show. Uh, a lot of them are in the AL Central. Just going to say that now. Uh, <laughs> one is uh, from uh, from the Royals, Scott Barlow. He's been their primary closer. Uh, he threw 74 and a third innings uh, this, uh, this past season for the second straight season and uh, posted a 2.12 ERA, a little over 9 Ks per 9. Uh, this is a guy that, you know, the, the Royals in the past under Dayton Moore, I think we're asking a lot for. But now that there's new leadership there and Barlow posted good, not elite numbers out of the bullpen, you think it's actually possible that the Mariners could go out and get him even though that the back end of their bullpen is pretty much loaded already? Yeah, uh, I think it is. Uh, like you said, there's new new regime there for the first time in like, two decades. Um, so yeah, there, there's probably going to be some movement. The Royals, I think they learned last year that they're, they weren't as close as they thought they were. Now they have some, some, you know, really exciting players. Uh, you know, obviously Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, comes to mind immediately. Um, you know, they, they've got some, some pretty interesting young arms that they just haven't really been able to develop. So we'll see if the new, uh, the new regime can come in and do that or not. But I think the Royals learned last year that they weren't as close as, as they, they thought and so as a result you start looking at you know who's around that could be expensive that is kind of a luxury for a bad team relievers always relievers and, and barlow is probably gonna he, he like you like you said he was pretty good last year not great um i think you can probably get him for uh you know just kind of a, a mid-tier prospect i i, I mm-hmm. think you know you're probably looking at somebody like i something like Zach Deloach and like Penn Murphy, I think is something that might get that done. Uh, and, and by the way, the, you shouldn't overlook the possibility of the Mariners trade a reliever to get a slightly better reliever. I think that's something that they could really do. And um, yeah, that, like Murphy's already a major leaguer uh, and Deloach might be, you get that for like two years of, of, you know, a slight upgrade over Murphy. I, I think that's a trade you should probably strongly consider. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, the Tigers have a couple of guys that uh, mm-hmm. you and I like, uh, particularly Joe uh, Jimenez, and then Gregory mm-hmm. Soto, who was a uh, all-star this year. Now, Soto, since the all-star break, was uh, awful. Like, no way around it, just straight up bad. 5-9 uh, walks per nine, just an 8-6-9 case per nine, 403 ERA, 3-8-0 FIP, so not too bad on that front. Uh, but again, the walks just absolutely atrocious. Uh, but for both of these guys, what do you think it would uh, take to get them? Yeah, I'm probably out on Soto. Uh, he 
probably carries still a pretty hefty price tag. I think he's got three years of club control left, mm-hmm. uh, and he's got the all-star banner uh, under his name. I just – eh, I, I'm not really big on Soto. Um, I think the Tigers, they think they're closer than probably you and I think, um, but they would probably be looking for bats, and they probably want like major league bats. So uh, I just don't really see a fit there. Uh, Jimenez, I believe, has one year left on his deal. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, this is his last year of ARV, and he's a guy who I think actually is pretty reliable and, and pretty, you know, just good. So, uh, one year of a really good reliever, you know, it's it's kind of tough to say. I I I do wonder if maybe this is where somebody like Chris Flexen has some appeal, just a, a veteran. Uh, it would cost more than than Flexen, obviously, but uh, just to kind of you know ease some of the prospect costs. But I would guess that Jimenez probably. Maybe somewhere in the Bryce Miller range. I know that's pretty high, and that's going to sticker shock some people. But Miller is no safe bet to be a relief to be a starter, and and you know we don't know if he's going to be any good anytime soon. So uh, I, I think probably Jimenez is going to cost you a, a top you know ten ish prospect, and and maybe somebody else in the top uh, twenty uh, as well. So uh, Tigers are a little weird because they spend a lot of money. Uh, they think they're close, but then you know. We just watched them and yeah, we know they're not, we know they're not. They were, in fact, they were so bad that they considered trading Tariq Scooble, who I believe they're going to be without all of next year as well. So yeah, yeah, the Tigers are bad, so they should probably get whatever they can for Jimenez. Um, maybe you can take some salary relief. I don't know, mm-hmm. but like how much of Baez's contract do you want to take to, to get, <laughs> to get Jimenez? Uh, not a lot. <laughs> Not a lot. So fifty six and two third innings pitch for uh, Jimenez this year. Twelve two three Ks per nine, two oh six walks per nine, a three four nine ERA, and a uh, FIP of just two flat. So he was I'd, really good. I'd probably give up Bryce Miller for him. It's uh yeah, that's a really good reliever. Obviously had a down year in twenty twenty one where he walked six uh six point nine five guys per nine. But outside of that, the walks haven't really been much of an issue for him, and he can really ramp it up. Would and, uh, would you give up uh, Emerson Hancock for him? Uh, that feels a little too spicy for me. I it's mostly because like I might I, be the low I might be the low guy on Emerson Hancock because I saw we got some Emerson Hancock questions and I'm just sitting here like, what are you guys watching? <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's just I think it's because maybe the. Um, Bullpen isn't as much of a, a need for the Mariners. Obviously, like you never know with bullpens in general because they're so finicky. I and mean, like Andres Munoz when, could straight up just be bad next year. Eric Swanson, right. could, Eric Swanson could just straight up be bad next year, right? Like I get that, but also, but, like don't don't you want like wouldn't you want Seawald and Swanson to be like reasonably pitching the sixth and the seventh every night because you just have Munoz and Brash and Jimenez in the back, and you're like, okay, well. Yeah, we have like legitimate yeah. high leverage arms coming in in the fifth inning to shut but you is, down. But is that worth Emerson Hancock even now? Like, I at this point, to me, yes. But like I said, I'm probably the low man on Emerson Hancock, and I don't think it'll cost Emerson Hancock. But maybe I also think Emerson yeah. Hancock is kind of overrated as a prospect. Still a good prospect, <laughs> but I've some people like he's going to make the opening day rotation, right? What? <laughs> better hope not 
Yeah, so we actually have a question. I mean, we can Go just let, let's just answer that question, and then we'll get back to Jay Qua's question in just okay. a second, since since you brought it up. So, James wanted to know: Do you think Emerson Hancock will be on the op- opening day roster? If so, what would the rotation slash bullpen look like? The uh, you better hope not. Yeah. Well, also no. Uh, there are, I would say, multiple guys ahead of Emerson Hancock, even with the lack of. Uh, well. <laughs> Just count them out. You have four right now, right? The four for sure. Then you have Flexen. You have Marco. You have Dollard is ahead of Hancock right now. Uh, Bryce Miller, pro- potentially. Bryce Miller is probably ahead of him right now. Heck, yeah. Brian Wu might be ahead of him right now. Like, uh, Well, maybe. You Emerson sure? Hancock ain't pi- Emerson ain't pitching in the in the fall league, so. He's not. True. So I'm just right there at least. We just named seven guys at least that are definitely ahead of Hancock. And it's probably eight or nine. Uh, because if, if the Mariners were in a position where Hancock was starting to look like an opening day starter, they'd go sign somebody for like a million bucks. <laughs> like Emerson Hancock should not be anywhere near your opening day rotation unless he just magically turns into George Kirby. Like that's possible. Yeah, it's it's not impossible, but like no, no. I mean, no. just but just because his path to the to the major league roster right now is not very clear doesn't. I I don't know if that that means that I would just use that asset on a on one year of a reliever that like I could use. Sure, makes me better. Sure, but I don't necessarily need. You know, you don't need it because huh? I I I don't. I How don't was your bullpen think... against the Astros? Pretty good, pretty good for the was most it? part. Pretty was good. It? If they if they use Eric Swanson, it? it it would look a lot better if they use yeah, Eric they Swanson. Didn't, so. Maybe if they maybe they <laughs> had they a reliable arm in the back end, they would have used Eric Swanson a little more freely. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, no, I don't think it would. I don't think it would. I think it would cost like more than Taylor Dollard. Maybe somebody like Adam Mako and oh, Mako had kind of a down year. But anyways, no, we're 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 crossing uh, questions here. Hancock yeah. should not be on your opening day roster. No. Even if no. disaster strikes and you 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 know six guys go on the IL, go trade for somebody, go sign for somebody. Hancock is not a major leaguer, not yet. All right, back to Jacob's question about relievers. Mm-hmm. Emilio Pagan's another guy that we talked about, former Mariner, who's um, mm-hmm. bounced around to the uh, to the A's, to the Rays. Right, he was on the Rays. Yep. Yeah, and then now the uh, the Twins. He was on the Twins. Padres for a while. Uh, this year. He had a weird year. He had a 4.43 ERA and was worth negative 0.1 WAR and had a 4.21 FIP. But then you look at his XFIP; it was a 3.26. He threw 63 innings this year, struck out 12 guys per nine, walked just three seven one guys per nine, which is, I mean, it, that's not particularly good, but it's not devastating. He's got one year left. We don't really know what the Twins are gonna do. But I think they would be okay with trading one year of a reliever who wasn't all that good for them last year. So what do you think about Pagan? That's kind of an interesting flyer to take, right? Sure. I'd rather just pay the difference for, you know, bona fide back end guy. But yeah, Pagan's interesting. Um, probably not going to cost much, honestly. Uh, you know, this is a guy you might be able to get for, you know, Travis Kuhn. Like it, it, it's not going to cost a ton. Um, maybe it's maybe they like Chris Flexen and you just do that swap and you try to save four or five million dollars on Flexen's salary. Um, he's not going to cost a ton. Like you said, he only, he only has a year left. He's kind of expensive. Wasn't great. Uh, yeah, I think Pagan is a guy that 
honestly, very good chance he gets non-tendered here in the next week or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you might not have to trade for him, but yeah, if, if you like if you like the player enough, then and you, you're willing to spend three million bucks on him, like I so say, you probably get him for like. Uh, Caden Polkovich, <laughs> like, like he is not going to cost that much for the Mariners, right? Yeah. All right, uh, a couple other guys that you uh, you wanted to talk about on here: Ronaldo Lopez, uh, the ready for the White Sox. I think he's going to be too expensive, but uh, eight sixty eight Ks per nine, one five two walks per nine, two seven six ERA, one nine three FIP, two F four, uh, and sixty five and a third innings pitch. He's a free agent. In 2025, so he has two years of club control remaining. I thought he was okay. I thought he was a free agent uh, after this year. So yeah, that'll be pricey. But you know, maybe the Mariners have a a first baseman that the uh, the White Sox want to play in center field. <laughs> I mean, Evan White for Ronaldo Lopez. There you go. There you go. Done. There you go. Uh, I w- I'll tell you this, I'd be a lot more willing to trade Emerson Hancock for Ronaldo Lopez than Joe Jimenez. Okay. And more, and more on top of Hancock. I would trade more for, for Lopez. <coughs> I would also really trade good. Dylan Moore for, for Lopez. Um, yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I would also trade top prospect Zach Loach for Ronaldo Lopez. <laughs> yeah, that old chestnut. Yeah. I hope they trade Zach Deloach just so we can have that meme for like one day and then it'll be gone forever. I, I hope they I hope <laughs> they trade him for actually like something that's useful on the major league roster. And then we can like legitimately say that. You'd probably get Emilio Pagan for him. And so there, you, there go. you go. There you go. There you go. Uh all right. So after Lopez, uh you also have Matt Bush on here, uh reliever mm-hmm. for the uh for the Brewers. A little bit on the older side. What do you uh what do you like about Bush? Uh Big breaking ball, uh, fastball velocity. Uh, I think there's he throws strikes. Uh, you know he's he's kind of like a really good solid number seven or number seven, like seventh inning type of guy. Um, uh, you remember what Casey Sadler was for you a couple years ago? I think he could be Casey Sadler, that type of guy. Now Casey Sadler could be Casey Sadler. Yeah, but do you really want to risk that since you know he didn't pitch this last year? I probably wouldn't, but maybe you do. Uh, I just think that's another guy who, you know, kind of can go in the middle in the middle innings, kind of medium leverage type of guy. Um, and that way you don't have to use like Matt Brash in the in the sixth with two guys on and one out because you need a couple strikeouts. Like, oh no, I'll just go to Matt Bush. It's fine. And I can save mm-hmm. Brash for, you know, two, three, four in the eighth of a one run game. So mm-hmm. we'll see. But I just like the stuff. And I think he throws enough strikes to be interesting. So I also have some um, potential free agent targets here. I, I don't know how deep into free agency the, the Mariners would be willing to go uh, for relievers. Um, I think maybe the most they would do on a guy is was like five to six million a year. So I came up with three guys that I think kind of will probably fall in somewhere in that range. Uh, first up, Pierce Johnson, uh, the ready from the uh, from the Padres. I have him somewhere probably in the two year, twelve million dollar range. Uh, he missed 119 games due to an elbow injury this year, but he was he was able to return and uh, pitched pretty well in three postseason appearances. Didn't allow a run. Uh, he has a track record of being good against both lefties and righties, which is uh, 
you know, especially important. I know a lot of you want a lefty specialist. We talked about that on Thursday show, um, or was Wednesday show. Whenever we did the uh, the show about Otani and Judge and all that, uh, he is a uh, exclusively a fastball curveball guy. His curveball was ninety second percentile in spin rate this year, uh, and it's generated over thirty percent whiffs in twenty twenty two and twenty twenty one. Um, so yeah, uh, some interesting stuff there. Uh, Trevor May is a free agent again. This is a guy that Colby and I really liked heading into the 2021 off season. Um, he, uh, had a triceps injury that held him out for three years, uh, or three years. Wow. Three months. Uh, yeah, that, wow. If it held him out for three years, he would not be on this list. Uh, I was looking at my note here about the, uh, the contract that I have on, uh, for one year around four to $5 million. Uh, but yeah, missed three months with a tricep injury, but was able to return and finish the year healthy. Uh, 504 ERA, but a 387 FIP with a 10.8 case per nine, 324 walks per nine. Uh, he's obviously a Washington native, so there's the connection there. Uh, opponents hit 327 off of his fastball this year, which is gross. Uh, but the uh, slider was still really good, and his changeup this year, albeit you know while he he didn't uh, throw it that much, generated four 45.8% whiffs. So uh, maybe start getting him to throw the change up a little bit more and uh, build him back up. Uh, lastly, Seth Lugo, another former Met uh, who Colby and I really, really like, uh, really liked for years. Uh, I have him somewhere probably two years, $13 million, uh, somewhere in that range. Uh, he had a down year in 2022 by his standards, uh, but he's really good against lefties, elite curveball spin rate, 99th percentile. And, uh, we we were talking about this on our Patreon show the other day that he should probably just ditch his slider and sinker because the uh, the fastball curveball combination was lethal for him even this year with all the struggles that he had it was mostly the sinker and slider that were just getting punished repeatedly uh, so those are three guys that you could potentially look at on on the market I don't know how deep into the into the reliever market they're going to go whether it's trade or free agency this year uh, especially with the ter- return of Casey Sadler. Uh, but again, you know, we've talked about it. Bullpens are really finicky. You never know what you're going to get on a year to year basis. And it doesn't really matter, uh, how good a reliever is. I mean, shoot, even Edwin Diaz, who just made $20 million a year and good for him, get that bag. Uh, but we don't even know if like he's going to be elite next year, right? He could even fall off. That's just how relievers are. That's the nature of relievers. So if I were the Mariners, if I'm Jerry DePoto, if I'm Justin Hollander, I'm looking to get a little bit better on that front uh, or at least putting in some safeguards on that front. All right. So that's going to do it for our show. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Locked On Mariners podcast. For Colby Patnode, I'm Tidane Gonzalez. Be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at LO underscore Mariners. You can follow me at Dane Gonzalez, C-A-N-E-G-N-Z-L-Z, and Colby at CPAT11. That's C-P-A-T-1-1. You can also find all that stuff in the description of this episode. And thank you again for making us your first listen. For your next listen, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast featuring the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. It's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts just like us. And with that, have yourself a beautiful baseball day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Peace.